Welcome to the One Player Podcast, a show on solitary board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 125. Move out! Shh! We're hunting wascally wabbits. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's just myself, Julius, and Craig the Bot. I don't really think that people care that much about Craig the Bot, but yes, Craig the Bot is here. <laughs> I'm not quite sure why you feel like mentioning this. I'm also here, and I don't think I can make Craig say anything. That's a shame. We have a bot that joins our conversations now. He's mostly a listener. Yeah, he joins our conversations because every once in a while, someone on the podcast decides to hit the big red delete button. <laughs> I can't imagine who that would be. <laughs> it wasn't a delete button. It was a save over button. Excuses, excuses. Welcome back, Albert. How has been your week? My week's been Two all right. Weeks. It's been busy, but uh, good. I, I'm productive, and I actually feel like I've had more free time lately. Which has been really nice. I like free time. Yeah. Free time is good. How was your week? Well, I felt like I had free time. I figured I had a nice Tuesday evening. Uh-huh. Had some free time. Decided I would go hang out at a game store, play a couple of games. We're actually going to play Mechs and Minions. And then I got robbed. I heard about this. It was on the yeah. news. Yeah. It was on the news. It was actually on local news, and I posted on facebook because i felt like i would prefer for people to learn about it on facebook rather than sort of doling it out over the next couple of weeks because i just want to get over <laughs> the honest truth mm-hmm. uh for those who haven't heard the story uh if you're interested in knowing more details i did post on facebook but the essential idea was i went to my local game store uh comic seller here in memphis tennessee um on a tuesday evening and i was just gonna hang out and play some mechs versus minions and uh, I was there for about two, about an hour and a half when two men with guns came into the store and ordered everyone to get down on the floor and hand over their wallets. And I complied. <laughs> yeah, good idea. That sounds terrifying. Oh, my gosh. It, that, that alone was terrifying. And then one guy had the bright idea. He, they, they ended up trying to get the cash register open and one guy popped up during that and tried to chase him out of the store and they got off a shot once they were outside the store and that was even more terrifying to tell the honest truth well yeah i bet it is one time i was in a, in traffic when there was a smash and grab and uh the guy you know just smashes the one in front of me grabs the lady's purse and runs and then the guy in the car next to her runs out of the car chases after the guy you know not very far at all and then starts shooting into the ground like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be here. This is just terrifying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, did you guys win the game at least? Uh, no, because actually in the mad dash of the robbers to get away, they ended up throwing the uh, board, oh. the game, onto the floor. <laughs> what um, jerks. Which kind of interrupted our game. <laughs> yeah, seriously, like, no courtesy. <laughs> We're playing a game here. Excuse me. But yeah, Man. so no, we actually did not end up winning that particular <laughs> game. Yeah, that's a shame. I mean, all around. Yeah, yet one more reason just stay home and play solitaire games, right? That's right. <laughs> You've heard it here. This is why we play solo games. It's dangerous out there. This is why I play solo games. It's easier to not get robbed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but less less than pleasant, but we made it through all right. Yeah. So everyone, nobody was hurt. Everyone is okay. Just ended up coming by... Uh, couple bucks lighter buying a new wallet and redoing all my credit cards and driver's license and social security card and all that stuff mm -hmm. yeah what a hassle. hassle but that's okay we are rapidly making that money back with patreon right that's right <laughs> that's right i wish that were true but 
that sort of is what it is. Because we got some new page Patreon backers, which is exciting. We do have new Patreon backers. I want to give a special shout out to the newest ones: Mark Andrews, Mikolaj, Ryan, Morden Mondrian Pedersen, and Ryan Quick. So thank you to all of the Patreon backers, and we really appreciate you guys coming online. And we are hoping that you guys can come chat with us more in the Discord, so we can have more of your comments on the feed. Because I think Albert may not have done that possibly correctly done what maybe no probably not no probably (laughs) not (laughs) so to make it more clear what i don't think albert had in the show notes and since i'm editing this time i will make sure gets in the show notes we have a discord channel now anyone not just patreon backers are welcome to come join us in the discord channel you can come talk about the podcast you can talk about solitaire gaming in general uh we also have a special channel inside the discord for the one player podcast that specifically is going to be discussing future episodes each episode for patreon backers there's a special mini segment that gets launched which uh, gets an announcement of the future episodes or future topics that we're doing and we welcome all of our patreon backers to come on there and give us a couple of comments and things like that about you know what you're looking for if you have any mini reviews any questions and we'll try and highlight those in future podcasts and future discussions and we really love to have those now normally we do record about a week after the announcement comes out and so those are the points in time that we could get the comments in live uh, we didn't get any comments during that week but i know that we definitely got some comments from some of our backers we'll definitely shout out thank you so much to ray and some of the other backers uh some of the other patreon backers who sent us those comments uh, it wasn't within the week before we were able to record, but we did receive those, and I'll try and make mention of those at the end as well. So thank you very much for that. And we'd like to continue to see people reach out, preferably within about a week from our announcement. Hopefully we'll be able to get those announcements coming out regularly in the future also, uh, barring any other unfortunate robberies. And we'd love to hear more from you guys. And for, for anybody that doesn't know, Discord is, is an app that lets you basically just have chats. Um, you go in there, and you could join a... a a group and there'll be different channels set up like forums sort of like on bgg say where there's forums where you can post on different subjects um upset here it's all just chat you type something and somebody can reply to it and and whatnot it's all live um I, I guess this app was created for for gamers for video gamers so you could actually chat live and talk with each other by voice while you're playing a game yeah, it was originally designed to be a video uh, video gamers chat place, and it's very much about the live and the live recording and things like that. But I think that it really would also make a good use in uh, a comic in a board game type place. I definitely prefer it over Slack. I know there's some other podcasts that are using Slack, but I think Discord's the better place to host this kind of forum. Yeah, but it works very similarly. The only difference I have seen so far really is the the audio chat, the voice chat. Now, as long as you're understanding how to actually get into it, all you have to do is follow the link. You can access it right from a web browser of your choice, or you can download your own app. It's really easy to get to, just about as easy as getting to BGG or mm-hmm. on Guild. And the app is available on the for different operating systems, right? So Windows, iPhone, Android, whatever. In addition to just being available on any web browser. Or the web browsers, yeah. So you have no excuse to not come visit us. We're looking forward to seeing you. 
Plus, right now, we're still doing that uh, giveaway where if you name some, if give us your one word association with Constantinople, you get double points if you let us know about it through Discord, single points if you let us know about it in any other fashion. We don't have very many entries right now, so open game. So we have a little bit of news, not not a lot, but uh, the first one up is the Onirum app is finally available uh, for Android. Oh, and man. It is good. I like it. I downloaded it. I this, bought it. Buck. This fixes everything I didn't like about Onirim. Onirim for me is probably the best of the Oniverse series. In terms of mechanics, I prefer it to Sylveon, to Urbion, to Cassellion, and I haven't yet played the boat one. Mm-hmm. Natillion. Natillion. I haven't yet played it. But from looking at reviews and from looking at the game, I really expect Onirim is going to really beat that one for me. But I haven't played it at all. But I know that it beats Caselia and Sylveon and Urbion in mechanics. I've hated doing the shuffling because it starts as such a big deck and then it becomes such a small deck. Shuffling a really big deck is annoying and shuffling a really small deck is annoying. And when you have to do it so, so many times, it gets annoying. Apps mean that I don't have to shuffle. I love the app. It's awesome. I don't have to shuffle or, uh, I don't have to shuffle Onirim anymore, so I could just play it and it's so easy to play. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful version of it too. Yep. And by easy does not mean you'll win easily cuz it's it's a tough game. <laughs> my eh, my average I is mean, for the, 1 in 3 wins. <laughs> I'm actually 2 in 7. Um and that's only since the game is released cuz I did do the beta, the beta testing. Um and they reset my stats. <laughs> oh, now the one drawback is that the it's only the base game right now. There aren't any expansions available, though. I bet they're going to add those. Well, I can tell that they're going to add it because I know that they have the blank spaces in the rules for all the expansions. So it's pretty clear that they're going to be adding it. Just don't know when they're going to be adding it. Yeah, okay, I hope they add. There's a couple promo ones that are really hard to get. Hopefully, they'll add those too because I've never played those. You have to uh, order them directly from Those aren't very hard to get. You have to get them directly from Seaman. They weren't that cool. Well, anyway, Onirim is it's a great app. It really is a lot of fun. I, I enjoy that game. I've, I didn't play it in a few months, and I forgot just how much fun it is. Yep. Really well designed. Looks pretty. Has a nice tutorial. So I give definite thumbs up to it. And it's not expensive right now. No, it's huh? only a dollar. I don't know if they're increase, in, intending on increasing that price. I assume for a dollar they're going to make us pay for the expansions. I would think so, too, yeah. I would expect so, but for a dollar, it's. I mean, I think it's worth it. <laughs> it makes it playable for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if it was bad at a dollar, it's worth trying. Mm-hmm. I thought so. Okay. Uh, so another thing that I want to talk about is Gloomhaven. Now, then, I don't personally own a copy of it. A friend bought a copy of it from the first Kickstarter, and they do have the second Kickstarter live. And I've been playing a bunch of it the past couple of weeks on the first edition, and I'm really liking it. Um, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> nice. But I want to make sure one thing is clear. I've seen a couple of people who make mistakes about whether or not it's solo friendly. Gloomhaven is solo friendly, but it's solo friendly in that you can play it multi-handed like most other co-ops. You cannot really play it solitaire. Isaac, the designer, has posted up a set of sol- of solo scenarios and I've seen some people say, oh, look, solo scenarios, that means it's solitaire friendly. I want to make it clear that solitaire uh, solo scenarios, those there's 17 classes that come with the game. So there's 17 different types of characters you can play in the game. 
once with each character, you can play through a solo scenario with that character. And as a reward, you get access to a new item that you can have any other character buy type thing. And those are just once per class. And they're designed to be sort of once-offs, like mastery level of that one class. And they're supposed to be relatively difficult. It's not that you can play through all those scenarios to enjoy the game. In fact, you have to have one character leveled up pretty high and have familiarity with them from playing regular scenarios in order to play the solo scenarios. So the solo scenarios are not the same thing as being able to play solitaire and single-handed. In order to play the game, you do need to play it multi-handed when you're playing solitaire. Okay, good to know. Now, I don't own a copy of the game, so I can't tell you how it plays Solitaire, but I've been having a lot of fun playing it multiplayer. So, that's my mini-review for that right now. Albert, do you have any other news? I Hang on, I do. Where's my... Something about the Island of Dr. Necro? Something about my keyboard giving me trouble. Yeah, so, you know, I mentioned Island of Dr. Necro before. It is, it is now live on Kickstarter. I, I have a review copy. I've played a little bit, and, you know, I guess I really like it. I, you know, I've already mentioned I already like the game from the past. I have the original edition. Um, this edition, I was a little hesitant about the art. Now that I've seen the art and actually played with it, I, I like it a lot better. It works really well. Um, they they've made a few changes in the characters and stuff. The I mentioned the dice are you now roll two d six instead of one d six, which makes the rolls more interesting. They've added a leveling mechanism where as you level, you could get more character cards to give your character more abilities. And I'm finding I really like it and it works really well. So I'd say definitely check this out. I plan to play more of it and maybe talk about it again at some point. But it's a neat game. Definitely definitely worth looking at. It's on Kickstarter now. Cool. I have no idea if I'm really that interested in it. I don't know. I'm not really such a fan of the art for it. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't until I saw the cards in my hand. And, then, and going through the cards and looking at it... it, it it works better. It looks more like a comic book, and the story it, it it's kind of comic book like. Um, I'm not sure what I mean by that exactly, but but it does have a. a f- but I mean, it doesn't really look like a comic book to me. To me, no, it does to me. The art sort of looks comic. Does it? Yeah, kinda. I don't know. I I think that maybe if they had actual full art on it, but I mean, looking at a couple pictures of it, whenever you have a character, it's a character on a full color background instead of having an actual background yeah and so when you have when you play you get three character cards to make your one person uh, each of the character cards describes a different ability i know people always had a little trouble with that and, and it seems wrong um i, I kind of think maybe the name character was the wrong term for the card maybe it should have been an ability card or something uh, because the word character implies that that's your character it's just one of your aspects so I assume you're backing this one. You're going to give us a full review once you've gotten in hands. Um, I'm not going to back it because I have the other one still, and I like ah. it, and I'm happy with it. it the gameplay is okay. so similar. There's there's no real need to back another edition. Okay. Well, I'm not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what else do we got? I think that's it. Please listen carefully. And that was our newest piece of music from Don Piccoli. That is the game review music that he was so kind to make for us and that we're going to be using. So thank you, Don Piccoli. I think that sounded awesome. But that music means that we're moving on to our game review. That's right. Thank you. 
And just briefly before we get into the new game review, wanted to make a slight amendment to my comments about the game review for last week, Villages of Valeria. I made some comments last week about how I wanted the draw deck to be shorter to make for a shorter solo game. Somehow, at least in my later plays, it appears like I had missed the rules about um, when you set up for the solo game, you actually only start with a draw deck of 35 which does reduce the amount of time that solitaire gameplay takes. Uh, it's still possible to really nail down an engine and make for really high scores. In my gameplays, again, I'm consistently getting much higher on the high end of it. Even when I'm doing just the 35 draw deck, I look back over at my notes. I, I do take notes when I'm preparing for reviews, almost like when I'm doing a play test. And I'm not sure maybe when I started playing Villages of Valeria, I didn't have that issue because the idea of it taking too long only surfaced in my later notes. It could be because it got mixed in with some of the rules for how we put together for Quests of Valeria. And again, I apologize for that. But for Villages of Valeria, I want to make it clear there is a, this, the rules do say that you are supposed to play with a shorter draw deck, which makes for a shorter game, which handily removes one of the issues that I had with Villages of Valeria. So I continue to give even more thumbs up to Villages of Valeria. I still continue to really enjoy that one. Now, what, two weeks later? I still continue to enjoy that one. I think it's a, it's a good amount of fun think through that whole process and my thanks to Stuart Detsky on BGG for pointing that out to me and I was really pleased to see that a lot of people were commenting about uh, Villages of Valeria and seeing some people commenting that they listened to the podcast and were quoting what it is that we said there I just wanted to say you know, thank you <laughs> thank you guys for uh, making mention of our of our comments here yeah, I was just pleased to see that you know that showed up in conversation uh, and I just liked it, like seeing that. So thank you again. Thank you for listening. And let's move on to this week's game. And what game we're reviewing this time, Albert? We're reviewing a little war game called V Commandos. It was, and I hear that you were very familiar with this one. I'm I'm a little bit familiar, yes, because I actually heard another podcast cover this the other day. This is um, Juan del Solo. It's a Spanish solitaire podcast. And they spent a while discussing this game. So if you want to get an alternate perspective on this game, feel free to go take a listen over to there. Uh, assuming you speak Spanish, which I don't. You could still listen <laughs> to it, though, even if you don't listen, understand. I don't think I would get very much out of it. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. So we're going to be discussing V Commandos today. V Commandos is a uh, cooperative game set in SS-controlled Germany where you are one of a elite force of commandos from various different countries who are infiltrating behind German enemy lines to achieve objectives. And to discuss the basic rules, you have a set of actions. It's an action selection type game, similar to games like Flashpoint or Pandemic, where there's different things you can do that cost different actions, like moving around the terrain, shooting off your guns, using equipment like bombs or grenades, or calling in uh, airstrikes or breaking down doors. So you go through and you use all those actions. Each scenario is called a terrain or an operation if you're playing multiple terrains has a setup which is depicted on the terrain card and you'll set up a bunch of tiles 
to lay out what terrain is that you're infiltrating and objectives that you have to move through and get to it. Fighting against you are the SS. The SS are these other tokens that have come out and they're going to try and find you and shoot you. Throughout most of the game, you try and remain hidden. There's some custom dice that whenever an SS wanders onto your st- wanders onto the same spot as you or when you wander onto theirs, you have to roll those dice. On a one or a two, which are the sides with the little eye icon, they see you and you pop up, pop up to visible and the alarm will go off. If an alarm goes off, you're going to be in for more trouble because more enemies are going to start coming at you. So you want them to not see you, which means you want to shoot them quietly or you want to stealth kill them without ever having been seen. Goal of the game is to move through, complete all the objectives, stay alive, and escape. And that is V Commandos in a nutshell. Albert, you're good with that. Yeah, you know, that it's funny. This game reminds me of a, of a video game called Commandos. It's a series where where you're controlling a bunch of characters moving around and doing missions. Are you familiar with that game at all? It's from I think it's from the 90s or something. I'm not familiar with that game. Do you remain secret in the game? Uh, I think you can. I you know I played a little bit. I didn't get very far into that one, but um, I think you could uh-huh. be secret. You could you could uh, crawl around, and if you get seen, you know that that would get alarms, and, and men would start seeing you. I I didn't play too much of that, but I played another game that's obviously very similar called Robin Hood, and it was the same sort of thing idea. You crawl around, and if they saw you, you had to run and maybe have the guys chase you, and one not out of the way. To me, the video game it's most similar to is actually um, Metal Gear Solid, if you're familiar with that one. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with it in terms that I know the name. Metal Gear Solid is another game where mostly you're trying to sneak around and achieve objectives, and you can shoot people, but you're probably more effective if you can sneak around and not be noticed and do stealth kills and things like that. So although Metal Gear Solid has a different thematic background, it has the same sort of mechanics of sneaking around, which is not really mechanics I feel like we've seen anywhere before. But I think we'll hold off on that until we get a bit later in on the review. Because let's go through to rules first. Albert, have you had a chance to read the rulebook on this? No, I haven't had a chance to look through it yet. So I really like what they did with the rulebook on this one. And I'm not sure if they were taking a page out of Fantasy Flight's ideas. The rulebook, in addition to having all of the French components in the game, including a French rulebook and a French set of cards... The English rulebook actually comes in two parts. There's a set of tutorial scenarios and the main rulebook. As you're reading through the rulebook, it first goes through movement and stealth, which is probably the biggest part of the game and requires some understanding for how to do it because if you move into a small one, you're automatically stealth. If you move into a big one, you're automatically not stealth. If you move into a middle, medium-sized tile, you can go slower to be stealth. So stealth is something that requires sort of getting your mind into when you're playing the game. But the rulebook first introduces stealth to you and then says, okay, you've read all about stealth. Go play this tutorial scenario number one. So you open up the tutorial scenarios books and you play through scenario one, which just involves the mechanics of stealth. It doesn't involve shooting or doors or all the other actions. It's just all about staying stealthy. And then after you finish it successfully, which shouldn't take you too much difficulty if you're actually reading the rules, you move on through the rest of the rules and you do tutorial number two. And then you move on through the rest of the rules. You do tutorial number three. And then you move on through the rest of the rules and it says, okay, for your first objective, we recommend playing this terrain. And then you play sort of the simplest type terrain and you play through that. I really, really like how they did that. It made the rules very easy to learn, very good to learn. I loved how they did that. Mm. The best way I've really seen 
for how to teach you how to learn other than the sort of fantasy flight two rulebook type things. <laughs> now, when, when you say in these tutorials, are you actually sitting at the board and just playing through the tutorial or is it just reading through that? You can skip actually setting it up. The idea is to actually physically set up the whole board and play through it. It depends on how, I think it probably depends on how advanced of a gamer you are. For me, the first two scenario, the first two tutorials, I didn't actually physically set up. I just looked at them like, okay, well, I see how to do this. So check mark, I win. But if I were teaching someone else, um, I would possibly, probably set up that actual bit and actually play through it. It's not very hard to set it up. Once you have, if you're if you're about to play a full version of the game, and you have everything laid out on your table, it's not that hard to set up. Mm-hmm, okay, yeah, I, I like that. I played another game like that, um, Crossmaster Arena, in which the rules were gradually taught to you. And the first time, you know, actually, it was neat. And that is, the the rule book had a board, a mini board that you would play the first tutorial in, and play through mm-hmm. that, putting your pieces on the in the rule book itself. And mm-hmm. as you progress through the rule book, each, each tutorial got a little more complex and added more and more layers of the rules. Worked great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great way of doing things. So big thumbs up. I want to see want to see more people doing things like that. Yep, definitely. So that's with regard to the rules. Now then, because the rules are done that way, though, it can make it hard to find things when you're kind of looking for it. Like, for example, you want to find out, well, what sets off the alarm? Uh, it's kind of split up in a couple places. The general rule is whenever you become seen or you have an alert token, it sets off the alarm. But it's in a couple places. Like if I just want to find all the information about alarms, it's not there. If they went all out with what Fantasy Flight would do with a rules reference, you can reference alarm and figure out what sets off the alarm. It's also come up with a fair number of sort of facts and questions on their website. I think probably the best way for them to help that would be to expand on their fact to have a full rules reference available online for a couple of these really basic questions. Now that I know that as soon as I finished with the game, I went and looked it up online and understood more about some of the questions that were bothering me, but I still had a fair amount of questions and the rule book isn't the easiest to reference, but I think it's probably better to make a rule book easier to learn than to make a rule book easier to reference. So I think they probably picked the more important thing to uh, advance. I wish a rule book like this had a, a, a table of contents or an index that you could look things up in. It does have an index, and it was still hard to find. Things oh, really? Because parts, well, because parts of the rule book are split into different places. Like the mechanics, uh, there's one action is to move, but move is separate from all the other things, and stealth is in the middle of how move goes, and mm. so stealth tests get involved when you move or when they move, so it's only at one place instead of being like its own section, and all the different things that allow you to get spotted are split up over the place, so I don't know. I mean, there is an index, but the index doesn't really help you find everything you want. Okay. Well, that, the the fact online is more helpful, I think, for that, or just looking at the rules forum is more helpful for that. I would like the fact online to be more broad. Now, did you ever go and read the rule book after doing the tutorial, or just use it as a reference? Time out. Uh, just used it as a reference? I, I don't think I could sit down and read a rule book all the way through once I've already learned the game. No, oh, you're, <laughs> you're getting spoiled now. <laughs> Why is that being spoiled? Yeah. You're required to read the 
the rule book after you play the tutorials. Oh, are you? Yes, that's 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 one of the requirements. When you get a game, you're sort of it's a it's a contract you have between yourself and the designer, and you promise to uh-huh. read the rule book. Aha. Uh-huh. It's an implied promise. Yes, totally. Okay, Albert. Okay, backing away from the crazy <laughs> man. All right. Anyway, <laughs> so that's with regard to the rules. Um, I would also say that the one of the good reasons why they involved this is because the game's sort of mechanics and because the objective is different than many other games. I cannot think of any other game where you're supposed to be sneaking around and not killing things. If you can not kill anything in the whole game, you'll be great. If you could just sneak around, that's just fine. Although there is an end game if all of the tiles will of all of the units would come out on the board. I don't think I've ever come close to hitting that. I just really don't want to kill people very often. I just want to sneak around behind them and evade them. So that's very different. But there's some mechanics and characteristics of that that are different than in many other games. And so that did require some sort of brain bending to be able to understand how to play in this game. I think that's mostly neutralized by the fact that they introduced the rules. But be aware this is going to take a second for you to sit down and understand. So that's all with regard to the rules. Shall we move on to components, Albert? Yes, please. For components, you have a whole bunch of components. There are a whole bunch of cards. There's a whole bunch of tokens for the SS, the German guards. And there's a bunch of tokens for all the characters. There's a bunch of tokens for all the objectives, for all the equipment. A whole bunch of tokens. You're going to be punching for a bit. This is not nearly as bad as something like Feast for Odin, but it's certainly a fair amount of tokens. I think that the tokens and shits in this game are pretty good. There's a couple things that I have to give them kudos for having gotten right. When you are drawing out new SS, they're going to be coming to you from sort of rally points. And at the end of your turn, reinforcements are going to arrive. And you're supposed to reach into a bag. I'll note, bag not provided. I'll get back to them in a second. (laughs) But you reach into a bag and you pull out a number of SS to put on a spot and then you put them down. And each side, each of the SSs has a one side and a two side. And it's supposed to be sort of random whether you pull them out of the one side or the two side. A savvy player might go, oh, hey, all these are punch board tokens. One side is more rounded than the other, which you're probably familiar with if you've played board games before, right, Albert? Mm -hmm, Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you might say, oh, well, I'm just always going to pull the rounder side, and that way I don't ever have to worry about getting, like, the two side of the more difficult ones. But they actually did it right. They are two copies of most of the punch boards in this game. And for when they had two copies of it, they flipped the sides so that one set of them is going to have twos on one side and the other is going to have two on the other side. That's clever. Right. Isn't it clever? So that was definitely some forethought. It's those sort of extra details because they have to actually think of that because they, by standard, you would just think they would just provide to the printers the exact same for both of them. They thought of that. The fact that they're already thinking of that definitely makes me think, oh, these guys are really thinking through this game. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of thing you would catch in playtesting. So at least you know that they actually really play, playtested it a fair bit and probably took a lot of notes as they went through. 
Right. So I imagine, well, it's hard actually to catch that sort of thing in playtesting because that's not often the sort of thing you think about until the game is in full production. And mm, then you go, oh, shoot, because normally playtesting is done with like stand-in components and things like that. Yep. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, but I mean, it shows that they're really thinking they're trying to pay attention to the details. So speaking of those bags, you're going to have a bag of SS to pull from, and there's also going to be a bag of equipment to pull from. And you'll need some sort of bag or bowl for those because you have to randomize it as you do it. The game did not come with any sort of bag or bowl or anything like that. And they, they, so, they use the word bag in the rules and everything? I believe that they do use the... I think you have to pull it from the pile of tokens. Uh, I don't think they specifically say you have to pull it from a bag. You have to pull it from the reserve, uh, I think okay. they call it. Yeah. So I don't think they ever say you have to go buy something about it. Because to my understanding, like I think their claim is that some people want to have a bag or some people want to have a bowl. But you need to have something. Mm-hmm. You need to have some way of randomizing it. Because you can't really even spread them out on a table because you sort of have to randomize them all together. You need to have something. And nothing came in a game. Which th- means by default, when you buy the game... It's not complete. <laughs> yeah. What game is it that, that said there's a bag in the in the rules, but it doesn't actually have a bag? It's just an implied bag. Was it Arkham Horror? Where, where it references the bag, but they don't give you one? Yes. Arkham Horror does reference a chaos bag, but doesn't actually give you yeah. a bag. Yes, and, that's true. And, and they make that clear. They say, you know, it, we don't have a bag for you. It's just called the bag. <laughs> yes. They do make that clear, and the reason why they're making that clear is because that's a totally different model of game. Arkham Horror makes no questions about the fact that they're being open and upfront with you. We do not expect this to be your only purchase. It is a living card game. We expect you <laughs> to continue buying more and more stuff from us. Yeah, with you. this one, it is a board game. It is expected to be a single purchase, or at least it should be expected to be a single purchase, and it's just not. It's, it's not complete. It's missing something. <laughs> it's missing that bag. Mm-hmm. I still haven't actually bought a bag for it. <laughs> oh, no way. How do you play? Uh, we actually have some like plastic kid bowls that we're using. Oh, those are the best, yeah. Yeah, but they don't fit in the box. Mm-hmm. So I haven't found a bowl which I both like to use and fits in the box. If I had one, I would probably put it in because I don't really want to use a bag for this because it's just not that... I'd rather have a bowl for it, essentially, to have it be in one place and sort of shuffle it all around. But I haven't found one that both fits in the box and I like to use. Gotcha, yeah. Definitely first world problems. I understand that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But point being, it's not complete. Yeah. One one minor thing. Another possible issue. For each set of commandos, there are two... As with all the SS, you get little circular tokens. For all the commandos, you get two sets of circular tokens. On one token, there are the seen and unseen sides, but the other one has the side with them critically wounded and the side with them wearing an SS uniform. Oh, I have put away the second set of tokens. And the main reason why I've put away the second set of tokens the ones with the critical and the hat side is because all they do is make clutter. When I'm trying to sort out and get the game ready, instead of having to find one token amongst 12, instead of having to find, excuse me, two tokens amongst 12, I only have to find one amongst six. So it's easier to find and sort them when there's only one copy of each. 
it seems like the extra token was a Kickstarter stretch goal that originally, in order to show you were wearing an SS uniform, you put one of the equipment SS hats on your character. And in order to show that you're critically wounded, you put a wounded token on your character. Because they have these, I think there's probably not enough wounded tokens to really do that. But I haven't played with the max player count, so I don't think that's an issue for me yet. I haven't really run into it being an issue. And I've managed to make it work when I have. So really, those are much more visible ways of understanding if you're you're in an SS uniform or if you're critically wounded. And it's easier to manage because it doesn't require replacing your token and all that jazz. So I think that's probably a Kickstarter stretch goal, which didn't need to happen and has detracted from the game. Unnecessary counters. So that's another nitpick. Um, I think what would have been a better thing to do is all, all the equipment in this game are smaller circle tokens. And you show that you're holding it by putting it on your characters. And the characters all start with sort of like key items that they have. And most of the characters have a special gun that is theirs. Some of the guns are really good. For example, the silenced guns are really good. Whenever a character goes down, or actually at any point in time, even if they've gone down, you can freely trade uh, equipment from character to character on the same space. But any of those really good guns, you can't. They're stuck with a character. For some reason, they are plastered to their hand. I assume this is for balance purposes, but it's confusing to players, or at least it's been confusing. It it was confusing to me to understand, well, wait a second. I can't find this token anywhere in this pile of other tokens, and I can't trade it with any other players to make better use of it because there's another player who would really like it to go over this direction. And they can't do that. So for some reason, this one piece of equipment is near and dear and operates unlike all the other equipment. <laughs> so all that being said, that's a bunch of nitpicks. In general, for all those tokens and chits, I'm really quite happy about it. I think they paid good attention to detail. I could definitely see that other people would disagree with me on certain points of that, and I think they did really good on on those components, especially since they gave me custom dice and they gave me really nice art. I like the art. It is pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was noticing all your complaints are about like, oh, they gave me too many things. <laughs> that's, that's not really a complaint. Yeah, I know. It's not really a complaint that they give me too many things. It's nitpicks. These are, I mean, they bug me. They bug me enough that I sort of had to set them aside and not deal with them. They're nitpicks. Mm-hmm. And they're nitpicks that sort of bug me a little bit. Yeah. But, right, overall, in general, just to make it clear, I do really like the level of components. Um, having played a bunch of Gloomhaven, actually, let me make one comparison with Gloomhaven to show something where I think the less is more type mentality. For all of the tiles and things, so they have three types of tiles, large, medium, and small. And for all the exit tiles, they have re- they have one type of exit icon denominator. It's always this trap door thing. Regardless if, for example, on a cliff, you're not really coming in a cl- trap door, you're coming over a side of a cliff, for example. But it's still represented by a trap door. So you sort of have to use your imagination of these things. So, for example, one of the terrains is supposed to take place on a battleship or a cliff. And it always all has the same visual theme. So you sort of have to uh, give it a bit of imagination for how it actually looks. And imagine it as a hotel or imagine it as a blockhouse or imagine it as a cliff. Um, even though it's all generic, you sort of have to imagine all those things. 
even though it requires imagination, I prefer it to all just be generic things. It is the opposite of Gloomhaven. In Gloomhaven, there's a whole bunch of overlay tiles. I think it's like 144 overlay tiles with like six different types of this and nine different types of that. Now, then I haven't played through a lot of Gloomhaven to tell you if it uses it well in the campaign, but it's so hard to sort out all those different types of overlays in comparison with V Commandos, where it's really easy to sort out. (laughs) There's not that many different types of things. And I'll grant you, I have to use my imagination, but it's really easy to set up. It's really easy to keep sorted and keep separated. It's, it hurts a bit thematically, but I think it makes up for it just an ease of gameplay. So yeah, that's my vote on having things be a bit more generic to make it easier to play. Let not pretty get in the way of play. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, function over aesthetic sometimes. Form. Or form. There you go, thank you. Function over form. And I think this is one case where I feel like V Commandos emphasized function over form by having all the t- all the terrain be generic and easily interchangeable, as opposed to Gloomhaven, which really emphasized form over function and makes it so hard to sort. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you get a lot of extra components that really aren't necessary. Right. Yep. And, and, and so, it's worth saying, the art on the components is all nice, too. I mean, it's not like it, they, they look bad or anything. They're just, you know, g- generic, generic just means, yeah, they're really attractive, but there's they don't all look different. Yeah, I mean, even if something's supposed to be a bridge, it still just looks like a glassy, uh, a grassy, excuse me, a, gla- a grassy piece of terrain instead of actually looking like a bridge. So you just use your imagination a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> this is a bridge. Hello, bridge. <laughs> It's like when you hold up in any other piece, like, see this this plastic cube? It is a disease. How long does the game take on this game? So, in terms of how much it takes, it depends on the scenario you're playing. Each scenario card, both operations and terrain, excuse me, each scenario card, the operations, list how long they take. And that's usually between two to three and a half hours. A single terrain takes about a half hour, and the way the operations work is that they link together multiple terrains. And I found that to be about accurate, maybe between a half hour to an hour or something like that for a single terrain. And usually it's pretty accurate on the amount of time it predicts on each individual card. Okay. Then, you know, half an hour is not bad to to keep track in your head of the fact that this green tile is a bridge and that green tile isn't. Well, I mean, you don't even need to keep track of it. There's Each of the individual scenarios comes with a pretty picture of what it actually is, like a pretty picture of a bridge, mm-hmm. okay. to show that this is a bridge. And it doesn't require any sort of thinking or foresight to understand it. If you're a player who values thematic, it's going to be in your head anyway because you value thematic. If you're a player that doesn't value thematic it's a grassy area with this particular layout. Go beat up the bad or go sneak around the bad guys. Okay. Got it. I don't think it's a big issue. Got it. But let me talk about the gameplay because I think in the gameplay, we're going to have a couple more stumbles. Um, the idea of the gameplay is that again, you're trying to sneak around to beat the bad guy. And I've already talked a bit about a stealth check where every time you move into a bad guy, you have to roll a die and you roll one die for each bad guy in that area. And if you roll a one or a two on any of those dice, you become seen, which means that the next time, if you haven't gone unseen, if you haven't gone back to stealth, just about everybody in the sun is going to be trying to shoot at you. You're going to have a whole bunch of shots incoming and you're probably going to just die. So the rules emphasize this heavily. 
always try and end unseen. <laughs> this is not easy, though. Many scenarios make it very hard to end not seen. Um, or at least I found it very hard to end not seen. So <sighs> those dice can be really punishing. And it's a lot of randomness. This is in comparison with... I mean, I could talk about two games that I've been playing a whole bunch recently, which are Gloomhaven and Arkham Horror, the card game. In Gloomhaven, we have eschewed dice. There's very little randomness. There's the cards instead, because those dice can make your life really hard. And in Gloomhaven, I'm sorry, in Arkham Horror, where there's the dice bag instead, getting a fail isn't that big of a deal. In Arkham Horror, if you fail, you lose an action, but you still have all of your stuff going forward and you can sort of keep rolling with it. In this one, if you fail, which is a one in three for each of those dice, and you may be rolling a whole bunch, and it's most like you can't do anything to avoid it. You've got to, at one point in time, walk through those enemies in some way, shape, or form, whether to try for a stealth kill or to just move right past them and onto your objective or something along those lines. But you've got to do something to walk by them and you're very likely to see them. So you're going, if you fail that check, you fail the alarm, you, you trigger the alarm. So more guys are going to start, start coming out. So you're more likely to have to run into more guys later. Plus they're all going to be very likely to see you and shoot you and kill you and make you lose the game. And there's just nothing you can do. It's not mitigable. You cannot mitigate it. You can't do anything about it. And it's just down to luck, and that luck just continues to get harder and harder. Those dice can be really punishing. So does it feel like the whole game uh, hinges on that one die roll sort of thing? It's not that it hinges on that one die roll. You have to continue to succeed at that die roll over and over and over and over again. And if you fail that die roll, you are in such a lot of trouble. I, I don't know how to recover. Every time I fail that die roll, as soon as I fail a die roll, I'm like, oh God, now what do I do? Because <laughs> things just get so much harder as soon as you fail that die roll. And it's going to happen sooner or later. The more you roll, the more likely it's going to happen eventually. Correct. And it's I, I have never, I've rarely gotten through a game without cheating and playing the rules wrong. Shh. Where I didn't <laughs> fail that probably about halfway through the game. And at this point in time, I'm just trying to scramble and figure out what to do. If I manage to get through a whole game and not trigger it, I'm probably going to win because that's, that's sort of how you're supposed to play, I think. But if I trigger it and I start getting overwhelmed, I no longer have any clue what to do. That's interesting. It's tough. Yeah. So I find it very tough. I find those dice to be really punishing. Well, you know, you talking about the the fact that you don't want to be seen reminds me of Monty Python again. <laughs> <laughs> Those exploding bushes. <laughs> oh, Albert. Oh, Albert. It's it's sort of like that. Once you're seen, it's just going to get bad. I mean, yeah, that's the idea, is that you're not supposed to be seen, is that you're supposed to stay stealth as much as possible so they can't see you, because if they see you, you're in trouble. But they're going to move, and... 
they move semi-randomly. There's a deck of cards that shows where they go. And for some reason, the deck of cards, they have twice the chance of moving north than they do of any anything else. But even so, they're, they're going to be moving around the board. And often, I think the reason why they're moving north so much is because you sort of want to get into spots that are north of them to advance the scenario. But you're often going to end up moving into a spot with them. And then once you move into a spot with them, they all just start shooting at you. And you don't have much time to react to it. You don't have much time to duck. If you fail it when they move after you, then then they all start wailing on you. Those dice are so punishing. And it's not just that they're punishing because I keep losing them. It's that the results of a failed roll make it so much harder to win. That's really what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not like in Arkham where it's just, oh, you lost an action. It messes up your whole game. You're seen. They start shooting at you. More guys start coming out. And it's just because you rolled poorly. Yeah, that's what I was asking. If it feels like the game just hinges on that die roll. Like, if you don't roll bad and you never get seen, you're going to win. But once you're seen, you're, you know, it becomes harder and harder to win. Yeah. So you could just throw out the rest of the game and just play the not-be-seen game. You're saying just by rolling dice? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. To a certain degree. I mean, you can say that same thing about, you know, classic games like uh, Death Angel. I don't think it's all about that because I think that, I I mean, I hope that there's more to the game about my (laughs) skill. I couldn't actually tell you. I mean, here's here's another idea that I had or another issue that I had in gameplay there's there's a lot of different terrains and a lot of different scenarios. There's no indicator on each of the terrain and scenarios about whether or not it's harder or easier. Now, there's some terrains and scenarios which have veteran rules so that you can increase the difficulty in them. But there's nothing that says if this terrain is harder than this terrain. And there are some terrains that just keep beating me up. For example, cliffs. I've played that now five times or something like that, and I can't beat it. But many of the other ones, I come in and I beat it first time through. Hmm. I it, Am I doing something wrong? Is that one harder? Have I not figured out the actual strategy how to play and I'm just getting lucky? Is it luck that's doing it for me? Now then, if I was doing this as a play test, that's all the sort of stuff I would keep track of. What are my dice rolls? What am I doing? If I were doing this as a play test, I would probably try and equalize the rolls. I mean, I would probably just honestly dump the dice and not use dice for this kind of game. But that point aside, um, I mean, I would try and... I, I'm not quite sure what I would do in play testing just to redesign that that dice aspect but i have no idea why i keep losing on that one particular scenario am i not good who knows i don't get it Hmm. that's interesting and i'll tell you that that does give me a certain amount of frustration like i i kept on bashing my head against this one terrain and it's the cliffs terrain Mm -hmm. i kept bashing my head against and the fifth i'm like oh good god i really want to just flip the table (laughs) And it's part of a whole operation. So that was the first terrain in an operation. Unlike with Arkham Horror, when you lose, you still move on in Arkham Horror. And this one, if you lose, you do not move on. So there were two more terrains right after it that I never was getting to play because I kept losing and bashing my head on the first one. So I said, you know what? I won. Instead of flipping (laughs) a table, I'm considering that a win. I'm moving on to the next one. And I went right through them. Yeah. I I beat them without much difficulty. So what's going on? (laughs) Yeah, Albert, you tell me. That sounds unbalanced. You know, I've had the same issue with the Lord of the Rings card game before where I'm playing it and there's some certain scenario that I could just not 
beat and then you know play 10 12 times i finally say okay i'm, I'm going to ignore that that attack they did I, I didn't see it so i'm not gonna take the damage oh look i didn't see this either i didn't see oh look i won <laughs> and you just kind of have to do that and just say you know i just want to feel the experience of going through it i'm gonna ignore some of the bad stuff just so i could at least make it through to the end and then move on with my life <laughs> but i mean all that leads together to me like I don't feel like I'm being hugely strategic with the game. Maybe I'm being tactical and I'm trying to move into a space and see where they're going to move and hope I don't go into it. But in the end, shooting requires dice. If I succeed at shooting, I clear off a whole area and I'm good. If I don't, they're going to come at me. If I succeed in a stealth, tech, then I'm, stealth test, then I'm good. And they're not going to come at me and I can kill them. If I fail in it, then they're going to come at me. So is it my strategy that is coming to my win or is it my amazing dice rolling ability? And I want my games to make me feel like I'm being smart. Mm -hmm. And when I start bashing my head on one and getting frustrated, I don't feel like I'm being smart. I feel like I'm doing poor dice rolling. And when I'm doing really breezy easy on some other ones, I don't feel like I'm being smart. I feel like I'm having good dice rolling again. (sighs) I mean, that all just comes down to sort of like an emotional response, I suppose. And it's not really backed up by cold, hard data. And that sort of cold, hard data is the sort of stuff that playtesting would have to do. And all the polish that they have in this game really suggests to me that there's a lot of playtests that went into this. They're trying to make sure that everything's balanced. And I believe them. My feelings are telling me that I believe them, that it's all balanced and that it's all fair and that everything is actually of a similar level of difficulty. Mm -hmm. Everything in it is suggesting it to me, but I'm not having that emotional reaction to the game. I hate the losses. (laughs) I hate them. Oh, so annoying. Yeah, that is, I know what you mean. And that is frustrating. That, that hopeless losing. It seems like it doesn't matter what you do. All right. So annoying. So, all that has to do with the gameplay. Talking about the theme, I think we've kind of covered this already. You certainly feel like a sneaky commander running through it. The generic terrain sort of hurts with the theme. We've talked about this before, how it's supposed to be your battleship, but there's no water around. There's no ships around. You just sort of have to use your imagination and, and sort of make this a bit more abstract to fit in and pretend, oh, there's a battleship over here in this empty space right here that I can't touch. Or these two things, these are bridges. Believe me, it's an actual bridge. <laughs> or something along those lines. Unclear to me quite what or how some of these actually are like bridges. Like the bridge one, I don't get how that's a bridge. It's like two separate things with a big blank space in the middle. Is this two bridges? <laughs> unclear um so that hurts the theme a little bit but mostly i just don't care (laughs) because it's good it i feel the the theme of the feeling of playing comes through even if all the tiles aren't bringing the theme the the playing the feeling of the game does come through really strong um in terms of solo versus multiplayer you have to play the game multi-handed. And in fact, you're going to have to play the game with a lot of multi-handeds, I think, in order to succeed. Each individual terrain has a player count for it. So for instance, this terrain might have three or two or four or even one. 
I think in order to be successful on a terrain, you need to bring all the commandos that the terrain allows you to do so. If you bring more than them, so then you automatically set off the alarm and you can never turn off the alarm, and that's just part of the rules. So theoretically, you could bring six, I guess, if you wanted to do so. Unclear to me why you would want to. But the terrains seem designed to be conquered with the amount of commandos that they say to conquer it. So if you only ever want to play multi-handed, you're going to have a couple of cards to choose from. If you're playing multiplayer and you have a group of three, you are sort of restricted to the amount of players you have at the table. If you're playing multiplayer and you're trying to play a whole long game, which I think is how the game is designed to be played, it's designed to be played as the long game, well then what happens is is that when you start off, you have a terrain that requires three players, but then you have another terrain that is two and two. So one of the players has to play multi-hand while each of the other players plays just one each? Even though they started off all each playing one each? Something along those mm-hmm. lines? Yeah, you know, question I had the same mark? issue with uh, Mice and Mystics with that sort of thing, where, where some scenarios had different numbers of players. And we're trying to play the right. campaign as a family, and then, well, you know, hey, one of you guys can't play today, sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I hear that same thing. I I agree with that for Mice and Mystics. I think that's a different problem with that. And I think that same problem will come through in this when you play multiplayer. And when you're playing solitaire, I mean, you sort of have to pick how many hands you want to do, and then which scenario do you want to do for that. Mm-hmm. So I think that covers all of the aspects. So let's go get into our final rating. Well, well, the last question: Is it a war game? No, or is it, no, Albert, no. But if it's it's let's, a game no. set in a war, Albert, and your no. soldiers, isn't that a war game? It's not set in a war. World War Two. Albert, if I had a story about two lovers in Germany who were attempting to find each other through letters through World War II, would it be a war game? (laughs) Okay, so this is a a game about commandos in a war fighting SS. That sounds exactly like a war game. I mean, they're fighting. No, it's not. No, Albert, no, it's not. (laughs) Albert, you're wrong. We're moving on. I'm here. I'm deleting it from the show notes. (laughs) No, no, no. Now, if this was a war a game about commandos in World War II dancing at a cantina, would it be a war game? Probably so not. So, Albert, <laughs> but they're not talking dancing about at our a final reading of it. One thing that I have to make mention of is that you can't actually pick up the game at retail stores. The game was a Kickstarter game, and it had the option of also buying two expansions for the game. I'm guessing they didn't make enough to make it all the way to. Uh, retail or to use distribution because the only way to pick up the game is through the publisher's website which means that if you're used to getting games more inexpensive at your friend at your local online game store you're not going to get it from there if you're used to paying full msrp at your local friendly game store for example hey well then (laughs) this is probably the same sort of thing that you're used to expecting because that's kind of what you're going to have here it costs 64 us dollars to buy it from the designer's website Fair warning. I think that's a little bit expensive for the amount of stuff you have in here. There's a lot of stuff in it. But I think that's only more expensive because I'm used to getting a certain amount of retail discounts from online game stores. And I sort of reserve other purchases for my friendly local game store to support them. So I'm used to seeing things available at retail. And I'd like to see these guys print enough or make it available in distribution to make it go through retail. And I think that would probably help them actually have the game get into more hands. Nonetheless, that is not the situation as we have. And it's only available through the website. Um, 
game brings up all sorts of anger with me. When I lose with those dice, I get so angry because I don't know, is it me or is it the dice that's winning or losing for me? (laughs) But the game makes me feel like a really sneaky person, dip-dodging around behind enemy lines and sneaking back and blowing up stuff. It makes me feel like I'm playing Metal Gear Solid. It really brings that theme home. I've said before that I'm a fan of dice. For example, I prefer Flashpoint Fire Rescue over Pandemic. I like a certain amount of randomness. For me, I think that I prefer a game like Arkham Horror where the randomness doesn't feel like I'm being so badly punished by it. The fact that when I lose a die roll, it, I'm, I'm going to probably continue to play this game because the game angers me and I want to beat it into submission until <laughs> it bows down and listens to me. So I'm going to continue to play this until maybe I figure out the strategy. And you know what? If any listeners understand the strategy of this, there's no strategy things on Board Game Geek. This is one of those ones that if someone were to post a strategy guide about how to win, I would go read it and I would apply it and I would be better at this game. I would have probably beat those cliffs, those accursed cliffs. (laughs) But there's no strategy things out there, so I'm still trying to figure out the strategy. If any listeners have any ideas for how to play the game better, please, please let me know. I'd love to give it a try, and I will talk about it later. Oh, so, yeah, I've talked before about how I prefer... I, I do like some randomness. Like, for example, I prefer Flashpoint Fire Rescue over... Uh, pandemic and i really like wizards academy even though it has a bunch of randomness in it about how everything moves but with those games i feel like you know flashpoint it puts out a fire there but it's controllable you can go do something wizards academy it's a new thing but you have a whole round to deal with it with this one if you fail your whole life turns immediately bad I'm really torn about it because it brings up such energy and emotion and drive and feeling for the game, but the mechanics are so punishing feeling. Altogether, I do give it a thumbs up. I do like playing the game, and I do want to continue to crush into submission. If the game continues to crush me into submission, though, I expect this to start turning more downplay. It may be like happened for me for Death Angel. When I first was playing Death Angel, I liked it until I got really frustrated with that red die and ended up selling it away. And really, I didn't sell it away until after I heard about uh, Warhammer Quest Adventure Card Game, which took a lot of Death Angel that I liked. So maybe I'll find what I like somewhere else. I don't know. Tough call for me. But right now, it's a thumbs up because I want to keep playing it more. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like a really fun game. It looks cool. I love the idea of sneaking around because I said, like, it reminds me of those video games and those were a lot of fun. So I think that's something I would enjoy trying. So there you go. That is V Commando. And we'd love to insert here more other people things. Mm-hmm. Patreons, let us hear from you. Mm-hmm. Yep. We want more feedback, so go ahead and let us know sort of stuff that you're looking for uh, and listen to the follow-up, and you're going to hear more from us about what our next game is going to be. Actually, we did get one late-breaking comment from one of the podcast uh, Patreons from Ray, who commented that he also liked the puzzle nature of the game and that he liked that they had the missions and the rules, both comments that 
Uh, we covered Albert, uh, especially about the uh, training missions. I really, really like how they did that. I think that was an excellent way of building rules. So thank you for that comment, Ray. All right. So thank you, everybody. Good night. Yep. Bye-bye. Have fun. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractalude on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.